Ladies and gentlemen, fellas, 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 welcome back to the channel and the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about some guys that you just got to own based on just them being values, our must-own, must-draft values for 2020, at least as of the time of me recording this, which is around mid-July. I apologize if there's an echo in today's podcast and YouTube video. I'm not sure if there will be, but this will be the last day. I just moved into a new office, new bedroom, then turned into an office, and pretty much I just have to have the sound proofing panels coming in today. So if there is anything, apologize for that. This will be likely the only video that features that maybe the one before did. I don't think it's too bad though, but thank you for being here. My name's Sal Betri, cover fantasy sports in a lot of different areas. Like a lot of you football diehards out there have been all summer long, or maybe some of you just hopping into the streets towards the end of the summer. That's completely fine because you're going to beat your league mates just because of the sheer fact that you're actually looking into this stuff more than the guy, more than Billy Joe, more than Bobby who's showing up to the draft the day of just printing off some random ass rankings online, not looking at anything, has no idea what values are, has no idea what strategies are for this draft, but you're there. You got it all in your brain. And if you haven't yet already, don't worry. Free playlist, the 2020 fantasy football playlist has over 80 videos right now. As of me recording this, probably over 100 by the time maybe some of you are watching this on fantasy football for this year. Dig in, check it out. And today I'm going to be talking about three players that I see as must own values, but we're also going to give some honorable mentions. Like I could probably make a list of 10 to 20 values for this year. There's always values based on my rankings. Anybody that I have a decent amount of spots ahead of what consensus is, what everybody else thinks just becomes a value in my opinion, because I'm ranking them higher. I'm going to be taking them higher than where they're going, or you could wait later on in the draft and still get that guy. That's just going to be a value. So if you have my rankings and they're on fantasy sports focus, the website behind me with these players, these are not all the guys we're talking about today, although we will talk about one of these guys. Um, But if you have my rankings, you can see where some values are based on ADP. And if you have my rankings, you'll know kind of where maybe I'm going with a couple of these names. If you want to get those rankings, you get the rankings, you get the stats, you get all these player profiles, you get in-depth things like that premium analysis. There's so much content. It's taking me months to put it together or continue to add content. It's only $10 thanks to Monkey Knife Fight. It is in the Supreme Draft Guide. All the information of that is linked down below. It's probably going to go back to the normal price of around $30, which if you're not eligible for the Monkey Knife Fight offer, you can get down below. But be sure if you want to just get it for 10 bucks, go ahead and find it down below. You're going to beat your league mates. The more informed that you are, the better you have at making proper decisions in your draft. And that's exactly what that draft guide does for you. So before we get into it, hit the like button for me. Hit the big old subscribe button that just popped up. More of you that hit that subscribe button during the video, totally free to do so. And the notification bell, the better the chances that these types of videos start to go a little bit more viral, maybe pick up a lot more steam and more people can discover the information and the hard work that I personally am putting in. Hopefully that you can see that and appreciate it. So with that said, let's start with the first player for today. And like I said, they're on the screen right now. I think you can make a case that there's a couple of values on the screen. I think if you want to make a case that Calvin Ridley on the screen behind me is one of them, I think you're completely wrong. He was a value a couple months ago. If anything, he's now overvalued in my opinion, doesn't mean his bad pick, uh, but it's going to be Robert Woods. And let's dig into a little bit of Robert Woods right now, because I think he might be the best wide receiver value in let's just say like the first four or five rounds. Now, obviously, once you get later into drafts, there's going to be a wider disparity between values based on projections, at least that's how I see it. But you can also make the case that he's the best value wide receiver in the entire draft. So just look at what he did last year. Fantastic numbers. You ended up seeing 93% of the snaps, 90 receptions over 1100 yards and just three touchdowns. That's due for some major regression. When you have 140 targets like he did last year, 23.4% of your team's target share, you're likely going to see more than three touchdowns. Now, he was rarely targeted in the red zone compared to his teammates, just 13.9% red zone targets, but I expect that to change in a major way. You've had two straight seasons of 130 plus targets, as you can see from David Zatch right here on Twitter at David Zatch 16. You can shoot him a follow. So he's getting opportunity left and right. You can know that Cooks is gone, obviously, so it's going to add even more opportunity. And then just some other things. He finishes top eight in targets and receptions last year, second in Yak. So a very efficient receiver. You think of guys like Debo Samuel, you think of the guys like Chris Godwin and AJ Brown. 
Robert Woods is up there with all of those players in terms of how good he was yards after the catch. That is an impressive stat that will be maybe not extremely sticky, right? If you pop off in it, you're not going to be number one and number two in back-to-back years. But if you pop off on it, it's a very rare chance that you go from being top two to now being like outside the top 25 barring an injury. So if you can continue to pick up yards after the catch on your own and not have to rely on your quarterback throwing you open, you're just going to be a weapon for us and going to be a bonus for us in fantasy football. Woods played 35% of the time out of the slot. That's very good to see. Uh, There's obviously talks right now, and you probably heard it if you listen to other podcasts, the Rams plan to do a lot more two tight end sets. It's called 12 personnel. And if that's the case, there's no more Brandon Cook. So it's easier for them to put Gerald Everett and it's easier for them to put Tyler Higby on the field. You want to know why they did that a lot more last year? Well, Brandon Cooks was dealing with injuries at times. So that's part of the reason, but their offensive line was ranked dead last in the league. They didn't really do much to address that issue this past offseason. Todd Gurley should be very happy that they let him go to Atlanta, where it's at least going to be potentially an improving offensive line. This offensive line, maybe naturally they go from like 32nd to 25th, just because it's hard to be the worst in the league in back-to-back seasons. Health injuries and those types of things really hit them as well last year. But having two tight ends on the field helps you get more protection for your quarterback, the guy you paid a ton of money in Jared Goff. So more two tight end sets means that Robert Woods, he's going to stay on the field more, just likely some less snap percentages. That's not going to hurt Robert Woods as much. It's going to hurt a guy like Cooper Cutmore. Robert Woods, when they started going more 12 personnel, it was like the final four games of the year, final four or six games of the year last year. Robert Woods, his role didn't change, right? Uh, midway through the season, week 10, he's playing 100% of the snaps, 70, 85%, 88%. Then they start to change the role up a little bit and he starts playing 88%, 97, 93, 94, right? His role, if anything, maybe enhanced a little bit, but you want to look at guys like Cooper Cup, his teammate. Cooper Cup took the biggest hit last year when they started to go to more 12 personnel because when you go 12 personnel, you take the slot receiver off the field and Cooper Cup is primarily been a slot wide receiver in the NFL. So what they did was they put Robert Woods and on the other outside, they would put Cooper Cup, but mainly they would put uh, Josh Reynolds and they would put Brandon Cooks at that time. So maybe Cup goes to the outside more this year. That's a big concern for me. And when they went to 12 personnel sets, Cup ended up seeing his snap count drop to 73%, 34%, then back up to 92%, 58% and 64%. He started losing on average. I mean, middle of the year, he was playing 98, 95, 94, 100. He started losing like 40% of his snaps the end of the year. I don't know if it's going to be that drastic with Brandon and Cook's not being there. But even if he isn't playing, let's just say 15% more of the snaps because they don't play out of the slot as much more. And now he's forced to play on the outside uh, for more time. That's going to impact him. He is one of the worst receivers in the NFL getting separation on the outside. And a lot of it just has to do with inexperience. But that's somebody that I don't want to be taking a top 10 wide receiver pick on, a top 15 wide receiver pick on. I currently have Cup around like my wide receiver 19 because of those reasons. But Robert Woods right now, his teammate, who has been fine, if anything, his role is enhancing. His role is very secure. If anything, he's due for major touchdown regression, back-to-back years of 100 130 plus targets. He's in a situation where I personally see him continuing to produce in a similar way. I have him as my wide receiver 12, which means he's a wide receiver one in my books right now. I just don't think you're going to see any sort of role reduction in this year. You could also right here, as Ian Harditz points out, you can kind of bank on his rushing attempts. So in 2018, he had 130 targets and 19 rushing attempts. Last year, 139 targets and 17 rushing attempts. If you're getting one or two rushing attempts per game, he had a rushing touchdown last year. If you get an extra 100 yards on the ground just from the rushing alone, that's obviously a nice little bonus and wrinkle that Sean McVay likes to use Robert Woods in. You look at Jared Goff as quarterback last year, was fine, right? Was inaccurate and that really hurt them, especially when the offensive line started to break down. But 39 attempts per game, this team is still going to pass. When they trail, they pass more than any other team in the entire league, which is good. 290 yards per game and 22 touchdowns. He co-led the league in attempts last year. So 
another bad offensive line coming in. If anything, a, a defense that's going to be getting a kind of iffy to worse, maybe. So another situation where Jared Goff might be asked to throw a lot more again. Ended up throwing for the third most yards at above 4,600 last year. And again, those 626 attempts were tied, I believe, with Winston for the most in the league. So they bring in Van Jefferson out of the draft for, as a rookie, as a wide receiver, but nothing else in free agency. So they lose Brandon Cooks, they lose Todd Gurley, and what's coming back in as stability for this team? Robert Woods, uh, Cooper Cup, the tight ends, and that's really it. They have a new running back potentially. He's definitely going to come in with Todd Gurley gone. So I look at this and I say, well, the packing order, in my opinion, is clearly Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, and Van Jefferson. I feel very good about a team that potentially is going to lead the league in pass attempts at the quarterback position or be top five there, getting their wide receiver one early. And that's what I want to do. He's currently a top 12 wide receiver for me. We can talk about Tyler Higby's breakout last year. I'm personally not buying it as much. I don't think it makes him a terrible pick. I'm not buying it as much as well as Tyler Higby. You can see right here all the stats on the screen, all the crazy things that he did the final eight games. He was pretty much like the top one or top two uh, tight end consensus wise, the final eight weeks, final six weeks really of the season last year. But keep in mind, Gerald Everett was hurt for most of those games. When Gerald Everett was on the field, Tyler Higby was not as good. I still think Tyler Higby is going to be decent. I don't think he's going to be top five upside like a lot of people think he is going to be. So for me, Robert Woods is one of the biggest values in this draft. I think he's the number one player on his team coming into this year. Yes, I think he's the best skill position player on his team ahead of Cooper Cup, ahead of Tyler Higby and Cam Akers and all these guys. And the fact that you can currently get him at like wide receiver 20, I'm going to be getting him at wide receiver 12. I like the guy. I think he's a pretty strong fourth and really fifth round pick is where he's going right now. Next up is good old Marvin Jones, the wide receiver two, at least we think he is on the Detroit Lions. Marvin Jones is somebody that I want to get a lot of. And, and very similar to Christian Kirk, who a spoiler alert is one of the four honorable mentions for this video, is somebody that keeps moving up my overall wide receiver rankings, my overall top 150 rankings. And for me, it's hard not to like Marvin Jones when you start to really break down into it and see what was happening last year and just see what's happening in this guy's career in general. Last year, Marvin Jones played in 13 games. He played on 94% of the snaps, as you can see the stats right now, 62 receptions, 779 yards, and 92 overall targets. He was 15th in fantasy points per target at 2.11. He saw a 20.2% target share and a whopping 26% red zone target share. That's fantastic. But he obviously played with David Blau. He obviously played with Jeff Driscoll for half of the season. That's not great. Now, Kenny Galladay played with those same guys and was still able to put up top 10 receiver numbers, but he was obviously pulling away from Marvin Jones because of that. But Marvin Jones was a fantastic and has been a fantastic wide receiver. And last year, look at these first seven weeks. The seven weeks that Matthew Stafford played completely healthy at least uh, before the back injury started to spike up, these seven weeks, Marvin Jones was the wide receiver 15. And let me prop some stats up right now. Marvin Jones caught 30 balls for 387 yards and five touchdowns on 42 targets. He was 22nd in receptions and 28th in targets during that time. He was also top 30 in receiving yards during that time. But what really helped him was obviously the touchdowns. The five touchdowns were second in the league. He was number five in overall red zone targets and receptions in red zone receptions. He was number two. So obviously uh, Matthew Stafford liked throwing to Kenny Galladay often, but he also loved throwing to Marvin Jones. And now Matthew Stafford is going to be healthy. Marvin Jones last year in week three, finished with 22.1 fantasy points, the wide receiver 11. Week seven, you remember all those touchdowns he scored? Yeah, he scored four of them. He finishes the wide receiver one pretty whoppingly. In week nine, he ended up with backup quarterbacks in finishing as the wide receiver three, 26.6 points. He finished again with 20 points in wide receiver 11 in week 11. And there's other weeks in there too that I'm not talking about where he's finishing a 30th, where he's finishing in the mid 20s, right? 27. So Marvin Jones is a top receiver in terms of, he is definitely, in my opinion, right around a top 30 wide receiver in rankings. I'm going to continue to move him up. He might 
might crack my top 30 and get into the 20 range towards the end of it. But I continuously see Marvin Jones going as like the wide receiver 38, the wide receiver 40 off the board, people reaching on guys like Deontay Johnson. I can't even tell you about Deontay Johnson. If I made this video three months ago, I think Deontay Johnson was a value receiver, but everybody, I guess, identified it. And now Deontay Johnson is one of the most overvalued receivers. You taking Deontay Johnson over a proven weapon in Marvin Jones in an offense that's going to throw a ton with a quarterback coming off of injury like Ben Roethlisberger, but a lot younger, not dealing with all this historical injuries. And at least the guy, Matthew Stafford, who has said that he is working out and Matt and Ben Roethlisberger has said he doesn't like working out. So that doesn't feel that great, but just a bunch of guys that are going right now ahead of Marvin Jones that I don't agree with. And I'm going to continue to move up Marvin Jones. The upside, in my opinion, is just absolutely massive. I mean, the target competition you're going to see is obviously Kenny Galladay, a guy who is very high on my board as well. I'm high just overall in this Detroit Lions, TJ Hawkinson, Matthew Stafford. I'm high in all of them. If you're playing best balls to get uh, correlated lineups, get stacks in there. But Kenny Galladay had 65 receptions. You can see about 1200 yards or so last year, 11 touchdowns. Again, a lot of that production with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll is very impressive for Galladay. Also saw a 25% red zone target share and a 21% overall share. Then you have just other guys, right? You could look at what they did in the offseason. Nothing threatening Marvin Jones role at all in terms of who they ended up bringing in. They ended up bringing in right here in terms of wide receivers, Geronimo Allison. He'll try and play the slot from the former Packers, a division rival. He'll try and play the slot with Danny Amendola, but nothing else. They don't really lose anything that's going to really help Marvin Jones either. The biggest loss was Graham Glasgow, who's going to hurt the running game, if anything. In the draft, they take a fifth round receiver, as you can see. Their big move was getting Jonah Jackson in the third, and their biggest move was getting DeAndre Swift uh, running back in the second round. So receiving game should stay the same. They had Vate on the offensive line. That should try to help replace Glasgow, although he's a tackle and Glasgow is a guard. We'll see what they do there. Uh, but for the most part, the receiving is going to stay the same. Marvin Jones is locked in as a wide receiver too on offense that's probably going to throw the ball somewhere around 35 to 38 times per game. The defense should be bad. The running game should not be good. They're going to rely on Matthew Stafford. And as long as he stays healthy, Marvin Jones will push for a top 30 receiver. He might push for a top 20, top 25 receiver, but he's currently going as wide receiver 40 because there's other guys who are quote unquote flashier going ahead of him. You have Debo Samuel, who's going to be potentially missing the first two to six weeks of the season going ahead of him still. It just doesn't make much sense to me. The other competition outside of Kenny Galladay is going to be TJ Hawkinson, I think being the biggest competition in the middle of the field, but still a second year tight end coming off of an injury. And for the most part, he's just going to control the middle of the field. I think he threatens the combination of Danny Amendola and John Wilson more in the middle of the field. And I don't think any of those guys threaten Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay on the outside. So Marvin Jones, somebody who last year saw 92 targets in 13 games, very much in line to be a guy who as a wide receiver two on a team is going to push for around 115 targets if he stays healthy and Matthew Stafford stays healthy in this Detroit Lions offense. So go ahead, get him at value right now before he starts popping up into the top 30 wide receivers pick. Maybe he never will. He's just not like a flashy name, but he's just consistently producing. Marvin Jones, the wide receiver 15 through the first seven weeks last year when himself and his quarterback were healthy. I'm going to be getting all over that right around the wide receiver 30 range as people wait on him way too late. Next, Next up, we make our way over to the tight ends for this year. And Chris Herndon, there's a lot of value tight ends. Like, let me be honest with you. I probably, in most of my drafts, if not all of them, um, unless it's like tight end premium, like the Scott Fishbowl was, I took Travis Kelsey early. I'm probably just waiting on tight ends. There is probably somewhere around six to 10 tight ends that I can look at and say, yeah, they have top 10 upside this year. They might even have top five upside this year because like after tight end five in rankings, I start to not feel secure. People want to take Tyler Higby in the middle rounds. 
go for it. I'm going to be getting two tight ends later on that have the exact same upside and maybe even projection as Tyler Higby. And one of them is Chris Herndon. And I'm just trying to find a guy who's really down that board, right? You have guys like Chris Herndon, Ian Thomas, these guys, Blake Jarwin, all in this like uh, next tier of tight ends after some of the Mike Gusecki's and John Smith's, uh, TJ Hawkinson's, no fans. Some of those guys go off the board. But I think Chris Herndon actually out of all these guys going off the board, he's being ranked like right around tight end 20 for a lot of people. He's closer to like my tight end 15, I believe. Out of all these tight ends going off the board, actually, I think he's tight end 17. He's one of the guys that can really break out and be like a top five guy because of one the situation two just the overall offense that he's in and just the talent level that he has you can see in 2018 and sadly 2019 we didn't get to see it because he was suspended then he dealt with an injury and then he re-aggravated that injury and was done he only played in one game and saw one target or two targets one reception seven yards last year but in 2018 we got the same start to break out midway through the season he played on 62 percent of the snaps he started to break out around week six so he played on 62 percent of the snaps wasn't playing all that much the first five weeks of the season but he ended up catching 39 balls over 500 yards on 56 targets which is pretty good for a tight end of his age at that point he was only around like 22 years old he was number one in true catch rate for tight ends so efficient and just catching the ball seventh in yards per target ninth in yards per reception and eighth in fantasy points per target so a very efficient tight end on a Jets offense that year that was dealing with a rookie in Sam Darnold so he ended up pushing the ball more to him this was encouraging to see the issue then was that the season ended he ended up playing in week six he finishes the tight end 10 in week seven the tight end eight right he finishes at the top 20 tight end from weeks six all the way to weeks 12 top 20 tight end for all those weeks or top 15 performances in those six, six weeks as well. But then it didn't stop. He finished with his best performance of the year later in the year. Uh, week 16 against the Packers, he drops 20.2 points, finishes as the tight end three. So those are all things that had a lot of people very interested coming into last year. He just ended up getting hit left and right with the worst possible situations, early suspension. Then he re-aggravates the injuries, like I was saying. The durability, it would be a major concern. He came back from suspension, missed six games, re-injured himself multiple times last year, only playing one game and recording that one catch for seven yards on two targets. He went for an IR mid-November of last year with a rib injury, and he also battled a hamstring. Those were like the injuries that he was battling, but apparently he's all good. Apparently the Jets are buying completely back in, and now he's going to have Sam Darnold throwing him the ball, who attempted 34 attempts per game last year, 232 yards and 19 touchdowns. And the biggest thing, you can see the Jets offseason additions right here. The biggest thing was the offensive line is now improved. This is going to allow Chris Herndon to release more, go down the middle of the field, and it's obviously going to allow Sam Darnold to not see ghosts this year. Add George Font. Okay, that's fine, whatever. But they add Connor McGarvin, who I think is going to matter, a center and they add in the draft McKay Becton we'll see what happens with Becton we'll see if he actually can stand up to a lot of the hype of his draft capital in the early first round but if Becton's decent if McGovern is just somebody that he has been and just decent as well and then somebody out of all these other offensive linemen that they added as you can see does anything this is going to be a much improved offensive line I think it naturally is going to be they ended up losing a lot of guys in the offensive line that were just bad last year so uh, the fact that they lose Robbie Anderson last year Demarius Thomas is somebody that I guess officially hasn't retired but he's not on the team right now they lose Ty Montgomery sort of a satellite back you're looking at a very bare offensive skill positions players, although an improved offensive line with an improving quarterback, in my opinion. Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield is no longer a deadly threat in the passing game. You have on the outsides, new addition, Brashad Perriman from the Bucks. You have the Denzel Mims draft pick in the second round. And then that's about it. Crowder resides in the middle of the field still, so he should pull some overall opportunity away from Herndon. But if you're just looking at guys in the red zone that are going to threaten, in my opinion, it's Denzel Mims as a rookie, but no off seasons. That's going to hurt his development a lot more because of everything that's going on pandemic-wise. Chris Herndon coming in. The biggest thing is just his health. If he is healthy, he could be the number one option in this offense. Maybe it's Crowder targets-wise, right? Maybe Crowder sees another 120 plus targets. But if Herndon is going to be healthy and seeing somewhere around 100 targets, middle of the field targets, 20 plus percent of the red zone 
target share, it's going to be huge for him. If you look at the tight end depth chart on the Jets, it's Herndon, it's Ryan Griffin, Daniel Brown, and Ross Travis. I actually think Ryan Griffin, who was pretty well last year, pretty good tight end last year, I actually think he's still going to be involved this specific season as well. I just don't think if Herndon is healthy, that he's going to be insanely involved, right? So if you want to look at what Ryan Griffin did in 2019 and 13 games last year, he started to kind of break out. Week six, he finished as a tight end 10, but towards the middle of the year is where Ryan Griffin really started going off. He finishes as the tight end two in week eight with 22 and a half fantasy points. In week 11, he finishes as the tight end two with 22 fantasy points at about five double digit performances. And as a tight end, as one that wasn't on many people's radar, that's pretty good. So I do think Griffin will be involved, which might hurt the breakout upside of Herndon early on, but Herndon is the most, much more superior player. They took him with a fourth round pick. I do think that Herndon stands out. The biggest competition to target share is probably going to be Crowder, Perriman, and then Mims. Crowder above all of them, Perriman and Mims, kind of a 2A, 2B. We'll see who takes over on the outside. But I do think Chris Herndon, right now going off the board is like a tight end 20, getting him around the tight end 15 range, right? Taking him over older guys. Like I, I'm, I'm fine taking him over guys like Jerry Cook, Greg Olson, Jack Doyle. Like I, I don't want those guys. Jerry Cook is going to regress in a major way. Somebody who saw some insane touchdown percentages, saw some insane yards per reception last year that aren't going to hold up, especially when you add in another year of age for him. And now Emmanuel Sanders in the middle of the field there. I don't want that at all. Also, Alvin Kamara is going to be healthier coming out of the backfield. Uh, more targets to go towards him in the shorter distance. I don't want that at all. I don't want guys like Jack Doyle, who in my opinion, don't really have much upside, even if the quarterback is going to be somebody who somewhat favors a tight end more than Jacoby Brissett did last year. Give me Herndon, a guy who actually has top five upside. And like at the worst case scenario, as long as he's healthy, he's still probably going to finish as a top 20 tight end for you. So I think he's already built in at his draft pick, his floor, and the ceiling is not accounted for yet. Those are the main guys I want to break down into. Some of the honorable mentions, there's a lot, like right, I, I can name 20 values based on my rankings. Again, you can get them down below in the Supreme Draft Guide, just $10 right now. So be sure to check all that out. Thanks to Monkey Knife Fight. All the details are down below. So Kareem Hunt and Damian Williams are the two guys at running back that stand out for me as values. Again, I can name a lot more. Obviously, like every single rookie is potentially a value based on where they're being picked. Kareem Hunt is probably the number one standout running back value in like those first five or six rounds. Damian Williams, I think, is a value because if you've watched my potential bust videos for the early running backs, trying to pick out some of those busts, I think Clyde is one of them. Like Damian Williams with off, no offseason for the rookies, no preseason likely for Clyde Bertolaire and Clyde Bertolaire not being a good pass protector for a guy he just paid 500 plus million dollars for, Damian Williams is going to stay on the field. Beat writers are saying that it's not a 50-50 split. It's Damian Williams 60-40. It's Damian Williams 70-30 to start the season. If he just performs well, guy coming off of an insane Super Bowl performance, second only to, in terms of the MVP voting, Patrick Mahomes for the Super Bowl, he's going to stay on the field more. Kareem Hunt speaks for himself. Guys like Christian Kirk, Anthony Miller are some other honorable mentions. If Preston Williams ACL tear is fully healthy, he could be another player as well that may, fits that criteria as some of these um, values that you're going to want to draft once they come up. I think Anthony Miller is being taken outside the top 50 wide receivers in PPR formats. I have him as like my wide receiver 42, so I'm very high on him as well. So there's some honorable mentions. Those are some deeper dive players on Robert Woods, Marvin Jones, and Chris Herndon. Appreciate you tuning into this one. Be sure to hit the like button and subscribe before you leave. Check out the Supreme Draft Guide down below, all the information on that. You can hop in to the free discord chat as well people in there mock drafting all those types of things just answering questions so be sure to do all those things hope you have a great rest of your day and i'll see you all in the next one